I was studying the book of John this week, John chapter 1 for our, our message, and came across a quotation that really sort of shocked me. I'd never heard it or thought of it. But one writer said the entire Old Testament could be summed up with one question. Where is the lamb? That question first started in that difficult story of Abraham being told to sacrifice his son Isaac. They get on top of the mountain and everything is there. And Isaac asked his dad, but dad, where's the lamb for the offering? And all Abraham could say is God will provide. And God did provide a lamb. And then for thousands of years, when you sinned, you took a lamb and you sacrificed it. A part of everyday Jewish life was the sacrificial system which said, this lamb is going to take the punishment for your sins. Now, we don't think about lambs much unless we're eating a gyro sandwich, right? But they thought about lambs all the time. In fact, look at this statistic. Before Jesus' day, for 1,400 years, twice a day, a lamb was sacrificed on the altar in the temple. Isaiah says, you need to be on the watch because God's going to send this lamb. Listen to this prophecy 700 years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sorrow, talking about Jesus, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Isaiah said there's a lamb coming that will do a once-for-all sacrifice for your sins. And then when we get to John, John. John chapter 1, verse 29. It's John the Baptist who says, there he is. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, for a Jewish person, that meant an awful lot. For you and I, it should too, because we've all sinned. In just a moment around communion, we're going to celebrate the forgiveness of our sins. I love um, a book I was reading this week by a friend of mine, Scott Sager, and he's writing about isolation and COVID-19. And he mentions what you've probably watched on the news. We're trying to figure out where this COVID-19 virus started. Was it in a lab in Wuhan? Was it a, a, a food market? And from what you've read, nobody really knows, and Chinese aren't really cooperating real well. But listen to what Scott writes. Although we may never know the origin of the viral contagion, COVID-19, we do know where it originated. The first violation of safety standards occurred not in a lab in Wuhan, but in a garden called Eden. From there, a certain, a serpent, Satan, infected Adam as patient zero with the deadly disease we call sin. The consequences of this disease are 100% death. So, 
We join with John the Baptist this morning in saying, Behold the Lamb. In just a moment, you're going to take your communion supplies out, and there's a, one end's the bread, one end's the, the cup. Just tear those things out. But here's my challenge. My challenge today is for you to behold and to believe. For the next few moments, just behold Jesus is the Lamb of God. But believe the good news that came from this Lamb that all of our sins are forgiven. You see, the final place where we see that question asked was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is there knowing what's before him, wanting to avoid it, and he says to his father, but dad, where is the lamb for the offering? And this time the answer came, son, you are. Jesus, you are the lamb for the offering. Let's pray. Father, we um, just can't get over that you would sacrifice your son as the ultimate lamb in our stead for our sins. And Father, we can't get over that Jesus would give his life in our place. Behold the Lamb of God. Help that to mean something to us today. As we take of this bread and this cup, may we remember not just Jesus and who he was, but what he accomplished for us, the forgiveness of sins. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, oh, join with Nathan just talking about what a great weekend we had last weekend. So many of you worked so hard to invite people. Many of you came back for the first time uh, last Sunday. I've seen some of you for the first time this Sunday. And I just want to thank you for being so flexible with our schedule. Over the last year, we've had to change times over and over again. So thank you for showing up here at 11 o'clock today. We had a great crowd at 8.30. And, you know, as you look back at last weekend... What we celebrate are these wonderful moments. We begin a message series this morning called Moments, because life is really made of moments. Listen to this quotation. Moments are what we remember in life when you're 85 years old, sitting on the front porch, reflecting on your life, your wealth is those moments. Last week when we celebrated Bill Page in the men's breakfast, we couldn't talk about his whole life, but we could talk about moments, about moments in his history in this church and the leader of these men. You know, it's moments we remember from friendships. I was studying this week about moments, and I got a text from Renee Zerang. Some of you may remember Renee. Renee was around here probably 15 years ago, started driving from Troy to go to church with us. We became friends. We used to eat lunch together. Later, he was an intern for us. But he texted me. He said, nice preaching in, in um, Gadsden, Alabama. He said, buddy, I miss our lunches together. I especially miss praying at the steps beneath the cross. Those are some of my favorite and most satisfying moments. I always remember that friendship, getting on our knees on this stage and praying to God. You see, the life of Jesus was just a series of moments when we get to the Gospels. We we don't have the whole life. It's not a complete biography. Uh, In fact, John will say, you know, if if I were to write everything about Jesus that we've experienced, the whole world could not hold it. So what do we get when we go to the Gospels? We get 
these moments that were significant enough to be written down. And today, we come to a moment that was so impactful that John, who might have been 85 years old at this moment, he says, I can still remember the exact day, the exact time, four o'clock in the afternoon, that I had my first moment with Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 1, if you want to open your Bible or go on your phone. John chapter 1, let me tell you the setting. Day 1, before this, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Day 2, John the Baptist identifies Jesus as this Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then in day 3, John does the most unselfish thing. He begins to point his disciples to Jesus. So let's dive into that moment. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, reading between the lines, you can figure out these two disciples were Andrew and also John, who had become the apostle. He's with those guys. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. He says it again. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, this this had to be a rough moment for John the Baptist. Um, These guys have been your disciples. They've been with you all the time. And all of a sudden, you point out this guy named Jesus, and they leave you, and they follow him. We know from Scripture that John understood that he had to decrease so Jesus could increase. So, Jesus turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Now, that's, that's sort of an odd question. What do you guys want? I mean, it could be a sort of frustrated question like, you've interrupted my day. Like, you know, when your children interrupt something you're trying to do, what do you want? I don't think that's the tone. I think Jesus is wanting John and Andrew just to stop and go, what are we after in this moment? And listen to their answer. It sounds unique to us. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That sounds like an odd answer. What do you want? Where are you staying? But in this day, it wasn't an odd answer. You notice what they called Jesus? They called him a rabbi. He was a teacher. They had an incredible education system in Jesus' day. You would have a rabbi. Now, that didn't mean that you'd have a teacher that you'd go to a lecture hall and just listen to him give you some points. It meant that you would literally move in with him. So not only would you learn information, you would learn his way of life. And so when they say, where are you staying? What they're wanting to know is, Jesus, how can we come hang out with you? And I love Jesus' answer, verse 39. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he is staying. And they spent the day with him. Here's John. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Speaking of a moment. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. I love this point. Jesus looked at Simon. He says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called, let me give you a good nickname, Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, this is one of my favorite stories in the gospel because it's such an unforgettable moment. Now, here's the good news, guys is that Jesus didn't just want that for John and Andrew. He wants you and I to have that same kind of moment. 
Understand, guys, when you read stories in the Bible, the point is not this is what Jesus used to do. It's what he does do. And here's the good news today. If you will simply follow the red letters through this story, you will see how you can have that kind of moment with Jesus. Let me give you the three points. Number one, Jesus made them think. He asked that question, what do you want? Some translations say, what are you guys looking for? What are you after? That was simple and yet profound. It's a much needed question. Are you guys just following me to see the miracles? Are you just following me for me to feed you some food? Are you just following me like a Sadducee so you can ask me some difficult religious questions? Are you like the Pharisees wanting me to join your political party of putting Israel first? What do you really want out of me? You see, we still need that same question. We need someone to stop us and say, what are you really after? What do you want? You see, I think we have a bigger problem with this than they did. In their day, I mean, you didn't have electricity. So lights are out at 6 o'clock. You might have a candle, but you didn't have TV. You didn't have internet. You didn't have a phone to look on. I mean, things got pretty quiet. And you probably were forced at the end of your day to reflect on your life. Today, we don't have that. We fill our life with so much technology, so much busyness, that most of us are actually uncomfortable with silence. And because of that, we don't often ask the deep questions. What's life about? Why am I here? If I really were to think about it, what do I really want? It's a great question. You see, we have a hard time with that one because we get on that hamster wheel called life in its endless motion. And I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I'm going to watch this, and I'm going to fill my life with this. I'm not going to dare let things get silent because I might get uncomfortable, and I might have to think about my life. I might have to think about those questions, and we avoid it. The sad thing is that we are poorer. Remember what our quotation says? You will count your wealth by those moments. And how in the world could you... Count the wealth of moments with Jesus. I love this. Jesus makes them stop and think. I asked you this morning, if you could back up from life right now, what do you really want? Stop, think. Let me put it this way. When you're 85 years old, if we make it that long, sitting on our front porch, and we're thinking about moments in life. What are the moments you want to be important? So that's point one. Point two is Jesus invited them to be with him. I love this phrase. Just, guys, okay, you, you want to follow me? You want to come see where I'm living? Come and see. He wanted them to see him because he wanted them to see God. If you go a little bit earlier in John chapter 1, there's some amazing verses. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh. That's Jesus. Flesh, what's that mean? He could touch, he could feel, he could smell, he could hear. He was part of us. He wasn't what the Gnostics said. He just seemed to be flesh. He experienced everything you experience. He made his dwelling among us. He moved in with us. One translation said, he moved into our neighborhood. So what's the purpose? Here it is. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus is saying, when you've seen me, you've seen God. Look what he says in verse 18. 
No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, he's made him known. You see, Jesus came so we might get a full picture of God. What's he like? What makes God happy? What makes him sad? What makes him angry? What makes him cry? What makes him rejoice? Look at Jesus and you see this. One translation says, Jesus came to explain God. If you're ever having a hard time in your mind trying to comprehend what God's like, sometimes I read through the Old Testament, I struggle. What's he really like? Let me tell you. Go to the Gospels because Jesus is the exact representation of God. And so he's wanting them to see what God is like and be drawn to him. So he gives an invitation. Just come check it out. Listen to me. Christianity is the only world religion where God comes after you. Every other religion, you've got to seek after him. But when he shows up in your neighborhood, he's going to give you the option of whether you want to come and see or not. Because here's what Jesus is confident of. If you'll have some moments with him, you'll never regret it. As the psalmist would say, you will taste and see that the Lord is good. I guarantee you today, if you make a decision to pursue Jesus above everything else, you'll never regret it. The only thing you're going to regret is that you didn't try it earlier. Because he's the only one who actually makes sense of this life. So, first of all, Jesus shows up. And Jesus invites them to come and to see. And then he promised them transformation. It's one of my favorite lines in the Gospels. He says to Simon, you will be called Peter. I love Jesus in nicknames. You see, the word Simon literally meant sinking sand. (laughs) Pretty good description of what we know about Simon. And yet Jesus says, you're not going to be sinking sand anymore. You are going to be a rock upon which I will build. Now, if, if you're there in that moment and you see, you know this guy, you're going to say, no way, Jesus. If you watch Peter sink in the water, trying to walk on water, you're going to say, no way. If you watch him get embarrassed on the Mount of Transfiguration, you're going to say, no way. If you see him deny Jesus three times, you're going to say, no way this guy could be a rock. And it was slow. Here we are in John 1, when we get over to Acts 2, it's Peter who stands up and preaches the first sermon. This sinking sand has become a rock. And let me tell you this, guys. If you'll start following Jesus, it's not going to be instantaneous growth. It's not going to be overnight. Not my favorite verse in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled faces, not like the Old Testament with the veil, we behold and reflect, that's the cool part, we behold and we reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed moment by moment by the Spirit into the image of Jesus. Isn't that cool? What's he saying? What God's going to do to you, if you'll just hang out with him long enough, is moment by moment, isn't that cool? Moments, moments by moment by moment by moment, 
Slowly but surely, he'll transform you in the image of Jesus. Listen to me, friends. The commandment in that verse is not for you to change yourself. The commandment in that verse, because that's impossible. The commandment in that verse, only command to us, is to get our eyes on Jesus. The promise of God is that he will change us. And that's what he says to Peter. My friends, when he looks at you today, I'm convinced he knows about your sins. He knows about your problems. He knows about your issues. He knows you got some weaknesses. But I am very much convinced that is not what he sees. When he looks at you today, he sees who you could be in him. So what a moment. Their promise change. And then look, look at the next, the next day, John 1, 43. Look what happens. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Following Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. (laughs) Nathanael's pretty cynical. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And Philip learned from Jesus what you say when someone's asking questions about him. Come and see. Oh, I love that. Day four, they have been so enthralled by Jesus, they had to share it. And guys, let me say this to you guys. If you can start walking, not in religion, not in just checking off the boxes of what's right and wrong. There are commands and there are do's and don'ts. not saying they're not. But when you start walking in a relationship, moment by moment, with Jesus, you're not going to have to be told by a preacher to go talk about it. You're not going to have to be told, go get evangelistic. Go share your faith. It's just going to come out. Why? Because we all like to share good things. That's why you're all tired of me talking about my grandchildren. Because I have so many cool moments with them. You've heard this moment, but I tell everybody I run into I love the moment when Jacob Connor over here was teaching my grandson sport, four years old, in the children's ministry Bible class. He's showing this video. Jacob decides to turn it off, and sport says, Mr. Jacob, you can't turn that off. My granddaddy's the boss of this church, and he says you can't. I love that moment because I wish it were true. But, I mean, that's, that's what you love, and you tell those stories. Meet me in the lobby, I'll tell you some more. Because when you encounter Jesus, you talk about talking, man. You're going to want to tell everybody about a moment with the Son of God. So let me tell you what we're going to have in this series. We've got an invitation to have moments with Jesus. This is what this message series is going to be all about. For the next two months, I'm not really sure how long it will last. We're just going to go to one moment after another about Jesus to try to get to know him. And guys, if you're looking to have some moments with Jesus, the first and best place to start is just go back to the Gospels. Just put yourself in a story, put yourself in their place, and get close to Jesus. And then here's the cool thing that's going to happen. As you start having moments with him in the Gospels, and you get closer to him, you're going to start having your personal moments with Jesus. You say, buddy, what are you talking about? Jesus is back in heaven. Well, he is but he's omnipresent. He's also living right here. John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus says, let me come make my home in you. Guys, he's closer to you than he was to Andrew and John. And here's what's going to happen. When you start walking with him and inviting him into your life, 
you're going to have these moments. I was talking to a close friend this week, talking about difficulties and difficult conversations and all these kind of things. And I noticed something that I'd heard him say a lot, but never really pointed it out. He's always talking about being in the middle of those conversations and praying, Lord, give me the right words. Don't help me, help me not open my mouth until it's something from you. Help me to have, and you know what he shares with me? God gives him those moments. And I'm saying to you today, you and I can have those moments that we've got to share. So right now, I want to give you the same invitation that was given to, to John and Andrew to follow Jesus. I'm challenging you right now to come and see. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. In the back of your pews, I mean, you can see what we call response cards. Because we love to pray for people around here, especially on the spot. And um, Paul, if you'll go ahead and bring that stand, just, just fill it out at some point in the next few moments. And while we're singing, just, just put that on that stand. And if you're watching online, you see a phone number up here. We love to pray for you too. Just text in your prayer request, 334-721-4548. We get a bunch every week. And we will, I guarantee you, you're going to be prayed about multiple times this week. So, let me ask you this question. You think John ever regretted leaving John the Baptist and following Jesus? No. Can you imagine? That's the greatest moment of his life. He marks it. And let me say this to you as we get to this close of this lesson. You ever going to regret getting off that hamster wheel? Getting off living for achievement or living for money or living for success or living for fame or living just to be liked or living, score that next touchdown, make that next basket, win that next round. All those things are okay, but nothing will compare to living for and with Jesus. So here's where we're going to close. It's where Jesus started. And this is where these moments start. It starts with a question. What do you want? Let me ask you this. If you keep living your life, the way you're living your life, the priorities you have, and you keep going in the direction you're going in, where will you end up? Now, I don't I think the vast majority, you're going to be great, man. You're following Jesus. You love Jesus. But for some of us, we've gotten so enraptured by this world that we need to stop. And we need Jesus to stop us. And we need this service to stop us in our tracks. And say, okay, buddy, what do you really want? Is that really what you want? Is that really when you're 85 years old sitting on that porch? Is that what you want to remember? Or do you want to remember something that would make an eternal difference in your life, in your family's life, in the life of people around you? Now listen to me. Jesus does not mind making you uncomfortable with this question. He even can ask tougher questions. Uh, Boy, this one's tough in John chapter 5. There's a paralyzed man Jesus meets by a pool, and Jesus has the audacity to ask him, do you want to get well? And I'm wanting to scream. He's paralyzed, Jesus. Of course he wants to get well. Why is he at this point? No, no, no. It's a legitimate question. Because some of us get comfortable in our misery and change looks too difficult for us. And so Jesus says, okay, guy, do you really want to get well? you got some issues in your life. That's okay. That's why we're here. We're a church that's open about our issues, okay? 
But let me ask you a question. Do you really want to get well? Do you want to keep on having that negative attitude everywhere you go? You want to keep on in that addiction? You want to keep on treating the people you love in that way? And and Jesus would say, can I just interrupt this thing for a moment? You all look good here this morning. But let me ask you a question. Do you want to get well? Our question of the day, do you want to, what do you want? What do you really want? So I want to stop just for a moment, and I want to pause. And I want you to spend a moment with God. And I want you to hear Jesus say to you, okay, buddy, what do you really want? How about you? I mean, if you could boil it all down to one sentence, what do you want? And listen to me. If today you would make a decision to come and see, okay? Maybe, maybe you're not even sure right now. I'll talk to a friend this week who's like, you know what? I've been trying my way over and over again, and it's just not working. I think, you know, I'm 50-something years old. I think it's try, time I tried Jesus. How about you? What do you want? Is it time you just checked it out? He's okay with that. For some of you, it's a time for you to wholeheartedly surrender to him and be baptized and meet him in his death, burial, and resurrection and become a new person. For some of us, it's time for us to bring a card up here and say to the church, listen, let me read you a card from this morning, first service. Somebody you guys all know and you love, Jennifer Woodward. See if I can find it. Here we go. This is what she wrote. Real simple. I want Jesus. I want my family to want Jesus. I want the world to want Jesus. I'm so grateful for him. Maybe you just need to write something simple like that. I just, I tell you what I want. And I got to get this in order. I want Jesus. Because here's what I'll tell you today. If in this moment, you make that decision, you'll look back and you'll go, you know what? One beautiful spring morning at 11.51, I had an incredible moment with Jesus. So, we're about to sing this song. If you need to respond, just put a card down here and we'll pray for you in just a moment. If you'd like to be baptized, just meet me down here. Let's all stand together and sing.